Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. I post sort of ads for each episode. I take a little image and I put an audio clip over it and I post it on the internet in the hopes of getting more people to give the podcast a try. I use Instagram, but when you post to Instagram, you can also click a button and you post to Twitter and click a button and post to Facebook and click a button and post to Tumblr. Now, until about two weeks ago, I didn't have a Tumblr account. Um, so I was just posting it to those things, but I thought, oh, there's a little more reach and I just have to press a button. So why not join Tumblr as well? So I made a Tumblr account and then the next day they announced that they would not allow porn on Tumblr anymore from December 17th. So I'm sorry that me joining Tumblr got porn banned. I didn't really ever intend to post porn to Tumblr, but Maybe they got the wrong impression from me that, that I was going to start posting a lot of pornography. I get the odd feeling that once Tumblr loses its porn aspect, it's actually going to lose a massive amount of its community, and then I, I won't be posting to Tumblr anymore. So if you want to put that back, I'll quit. I mean, I, I, again, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. If you go back a couple of podcasts, you'll actually hear me reading out an email I sent to Judy. And Judy works for silverscreenbottling.com. This was a company that is in charge of producing the Nuka rum product. What I was asking for was a free t-shirt because when I went and bought the Nuka rum, I was then after my purchase taken to a merchandise site and the merchandise site had a t-shirt and the t-shirt was way cooler than the rum and I suddenly started feeling buyer's remorse right away because if I had seen the t-shirt, I probably would have just bought the t-shirt and not the rum in the first place because the rum itself is $70 a bottle, which is for rum an incredibly high price. But then to have it shipped to Japan was about another $50. So I'm spending $120 on something that is really just a nice bottle because the reason I wanted the bottle of rum is the bottle is in a raw shape. But there have been some issues since then. So Fallout 76 was released and it's an online video game and it's based on the Fallout franchise. The problem is it's apparently garbage. I didn't play it. I didn't buy it. I had no intention. As soon as they said it was online with other people, I was already a little suspicious because the single player games that these have been in the past are already really buggy. So this is a company that has trouble, even when they have full control over the environment, making games that work fully. Most people accept them because the games are quite entertaining and fun and you kind of get past that without too much trouble. But there was also a controversy with one of their collector's editions. So it's supposed to be you get a canvas bag and a helmet and the game and maybe a book or something. I don't know because I didn't buy that either. But then when they shipped it out, they swapped out the canvas bag for a nylon bag that was clearly cheaper and kind of garbagey and everyone got upset. Around the same time as this controversy was going on, 
I got an email from Silver Screen Bottling saying that we are not satisfied with the quality of our product and we're gonna delay it. And that was enough for me to go, I kinda want out of this. Bethesda has a controversy, uh, it's a quality issue thing, uh, their products aren't very good. They've farmed out the production of this drink to Silver Screen Bottling, which makes alcohol in unique bottles based off franchises. So they have like a Star Trek uh, James T. Kirk whiskey and stuff like that. So if you, you're interested in that, they actually have a lot of products already set that you can buy anytime. In most of the cases, what you're really doing is buying it for the bottle. I'm betting the quality of the alcohol that goes in is just very standard, but you're paying extra price for the bottle because it's kind of a display piece. And that's what I wanted the Nuka rum for. It's in the shape of a rocket. It looked really cool. But now I'm thinking I've had enough. It's a bit too shady for me. There's too much going on. There's too many questions. And so there are three companies involved. There is Bethesda, the parent company of all this, silverscreenbottling.com that makes the unique or specialty bottles and alcohols, and fourwhiskeylovers.com, which is the online portal that is actually selling the rum to the consumer. So I sent an email when they said there was a delay to fourwhiskeylovers.com saying that I would like to cancel my order. What I got was the next day a response, an automated response saying that I would get a response within a day because I was a very important customer. But it's been a week and I haven't heard anything. Now, if you go back a few weeks, you'll actually hear me read an email I sent to Judy at silverscreenbottling.com because when I bought the rum, it took me to a merchandise page and they had a t-shirt and I saw the t-shirt and thought that was really cool. If I'd seen that first, I would have just bought the t-shirt and not the rum. So I kind of made this long joke email thinking I'd put enough work into it that maybe they could give me a free t-shirt. I am spending 120 bucks on a bottle of rum. They could throw in a t-shirt pretty reasonably, but that didn't receive a response. I tried to cancel the rum and it hasn't received a response. And then a couple of days ago, what happened was I got an email saying I had to confirm my payment options. So if it was PayPal, I had to confirm my email address or I might not get my bottle of rum. So I responded to that with, that's fine, go ahead. Cause I didn't use PayPal, I gave my credit card. But if there was a way to cancel this, I was quite happy to cancel it. So I sent that email off and I have yet to receive a response to that. So I'm going to send one more email to all three companies and see if I can get some kind of response. So if I get the rum, I do feel buyer's remorse. I shouldn't have bought this. It's overpriced. It's too expensive. And with the quality issues they're talking about, I now think it's not even going to be very good rum. But my long-term goal is to just cause these people enough frustration that they give me the free t-shirt I asked for in the first place. I have only a singular goal in all of this causing trouble for these companies, and that is to get the fucking t-shirt. I am betting customer service is not at a level where they will actually see giving him a t-shirt is enough to get him to shut up and go away. But we will see, because I am all about sitting on my ass, sending emails to test the limit of other people's patience. And I do intend to write very long, hopefully humorous emails. So anyways, this is part of the epic adventure that is Grumpy Uncle Peter buying the bottle of Nuka rum. And if I end up getting it, I am gonna drink it and I'll tell you how it is. If I get the free t-shirt, I'll consider that the gold medal success. If I don't, if it ends up being canceled, that's a silver. And if I actually have to buy the rum and don't get anything else, that would be a solid bronze. Quora question, why is Canada bringing skilled immigrants with rosy promises while there is no job here? My family and I have spent all our life savings and all we got are survival jobs despite our MBAs and years of management experience. Can we sue the government? 
There are a lot of questions I actually end up with with this question. And let me point some of them out. The first one is, can we sue the government? So basically, these people are saying, we can't get jobs. The government is bringing in other people with skills to take jobs. Can we sue the government? What are you suing the government for? There is nothing here to sue the government for. Basically, they're saying, hey, we have someone from India. They're a very good doctor or they're a very good uh, IT engineer. And we're going to bring them in and they're going to become a doctor or an IT engineer in Canada. Because you couldn't get that job doesn't mean you get to sue the government. Because the government's giving or offering jobs to other people is not something you can sue them for. So there is no case. There is no thing to sue for. Because I think what the actual overall theme of this message is, is I've done a lot of work, but I'm not hireable and I've all, all I've gotten is shitty jobs and these, these other people and they're getting good jobs. But I think the case here might be that those other people have skills and abilities that you don't have. So you can't be angry that someone who's worked towards something is then successful in that thing, which is completely unrelated to you. Because when they say people with skills, your MBA probably doesn't match up with those skills. Again, if we're talking IT guys, they know how to do computers and networking and databases and a lot of these things. Whereas your MBA, your business degree, probably has nothing to do with any of those jobs that need to be filled. And there's another issue with the question because it's all we got are survival jobs, but then the last sentence says, we have years of management experience. If you have only done survival jobs, then you are not a manager and you don't have manager experience. If you have years of management experience, you didn't only get survival jobs. So there's a contrary set of statements within the question that makes me think that the question isn't factual in its own presentation. If we look at your resume and I see a list of survival jobs in an MBA, then you don't have years of management experience. If I see years of management experience, then that can't be connected to survival jobs. Even if you are a manager of just a McDonald's, that's not really a survival job anymore. The people under you have survival jobs, they're getting minimum wage, but you as the manager of that franchise are gonna be doing okay, certainly in comparison to the worker. Now there is also what made me stumble at the beginning, there is a grammatical error in the first part of the question. Why is Canada bringing skilled immigrants with rosy promises while there is no job here? It should be while there are no jobs here, I think, because they're talking about plurals in the first part of the sentence and they go to singular at the end of this. Basically, everything I've drawn out of this question is that you do not have the skills to fulfill the needs of these skilled jobs that the government is offering. You can't write a good sentence you don't have the skills to fulfill the jobs you're talking about. You either have lied about having only survival jobs or years of management experience, and you think because you're not getting what you want, you can sue the government. So I think the sum total of this is quite simple. You are not hireable as an individual. Hello, Peter. This is Guy once again. I was listening to another recent episode, and you were talking about the buttons on the, the sleeve of a suit coat and uh, Napoleon and the snotty noses and all that stuff. And I just had to call and tell you that that story is actually apocryphal. All right, let's just establish right now when you want to send in questions, there's no need to use words that I have to go look up in the dictionary. So yes, I could understand apocryphal from context, but then just to be sure I went and had to check it and just, you know, I don't, I don't need that extra step in my life. 
And just for anyone else who doesn't know what that word means or thinks they know what it means and needs to check, it actually literally the dictionary definition is well-known but probably not true. So you could have just said that. Although there is a kernel of truth in there. Uh, the true story does stem back to Napoleon. Um, but the way it really worked was that, you know, in battle, they, sometimes they would lose buttons and their their coats were pretty functional, you know. They can't just be running around with their uniforms falling off. And Napoleon is noticing that this is happening with his soldiers. So he has the idea to, uh, you know, sew buttons on the sleeves so that when a button comes off their uniform, a functional button, they can just quickly replace it with one from the sleeve. And that way avoid running around, you know, half naked or whatever was happening. And when the soldiers returned to their quarters, they would replace any buttons that they used from their sleeve. Now, when it was time to go into battle again, you could tell the soldiers who were not prepared because they hadn't replaced the buttons that they used from their cuff. And this idea of going into battle uh, ill-prepared became known as going into battle off the cuff because the buttons were off the cuff. And, and this eventually started getting applied to being unprepared for other things, such as giving a speech. And to this day, we still use the term off the cuff to refer to speaking without being prepared or without thinking about what you were going to say. So there it is. I thought you uh, might be interested in hearing the true story of the buttons on the sleeve of a suit coat and the additional cool little story about the term off the cuff. See you later. Okay, so Guy's story made me have to go and do research because I have to check if A, the story I told was true, B, the story he told is true, or are we both full of crap? Now, I never claimed the story I told was true because it was a story I had been told and I just told the story as I heard it. So I was not surprised when it turned out that that was not confirmed as factual. In fact, as soon as Guy sent in his story, I actually started thinking, that, yeah, it's actually very likely that the Napoleon story is not true. It's just something someone had told me and it was a good story, so it stuck. But it turns out that my friend Guy's story is also not true. What it did was mean I had to go and do research onto the actual purpose of buttons on men's jackets. So he has forced me to go and do some work. And I think maybe his intent was to tell me a story that he knew I would go and check so that I would actually find out the truth and then, of course, tell it on this podcast so that he could get the answer he wanted without actually having to do the research himself. So if that was the intent, good on you, guy, because you were successful, because you know I have to go check. So the truth, the factual truth, and I actually had this confirmed from about three different sources to make sure it was true, is that if you go back far enough, men's jackets were functional, and the buttons on the sleeve actually worked. They were real buttons so that you could unbutton the cuff of the jacket because people didn't have a lot of clothes and so they had to take care of their clothes. They had to keep their overcoat, their jacket clean. So if they were going to do something dirty, they had to unbutton the cuff and roll up the sleeve. So let's say you were going to dig something out of the garden. You would have to actually roll up your sleeves and then dig stuff out of the garden. Then you wash your hands and you could roll down your sleeves again, button them up, your jacket fits. 
A lot of people then ask, why didn't they just take their jackets? Well, you have to realize that if you go back far enough, it's sort of more puritanical. Taking off your jacket was akin to just stripping down to your underwear. So it was just unheard of. It was kind of a form of etiquette. You never took off your jacket and basically you never took off your hat. Hats and jackets were considered just part of functional outdoor wear. The sleeves back then actually were functional and because you only had one jacket and you was probably pretty heavy, you didn't want to wash it all the time. So you tried to keep it as clean as possible. So they needed to have the function of being able to roll up the sleeves. Now in modern times, they're just sewn on the outside. The reason they do that is if they actually cut the holes for the buttons in the jacket, it would be much harder to adjust the size of the sleeve, which means they couldn't make a one size kind of fits all sleeve because the buttons would actually have to fit. So they'd have to make multiple jacks or multiple sizes and it would be harder to sell to a broader demographic. The buttons on the sleeves are a holdover from when they were functional, but the reason they are not functional now is it's actually easier for them to get a broader range of customer. So you will find that on the suits, the more buttons, the more formal the suit is. That's something else I learned. So four buttons on the sleeve, it's probably a more formal suit. It goes all the way down to one. One would be the most casual suit, which as I said in the previous podcast is an oxymoron. You should not buy a casual suit because then you should just not wear a suit if you want to be casual. If you're going to wear a suit, just be you know, full on max formality for the situation because there's no reason to do half-ass measures. So we can put this to bed. The buttons on the sleeves have almost nothing to do with Napoleon. They were simply functional in the past and people who make jackets wanted to fit more people more easily. They became less functional and they just sewed them on the outside to maintain that appearance, but actually make a jacket sleeve that was more adjustable should someone want an alteration. So last week, I said I wanted to get more into Turbotine. I wanted to get more into the issue of Turbotine. I actually, my intent was to write a story, write an actual plot for a Turbotine episode. But as I tried to write anything, I ended up having more and more problems because I was trying to come to grips with the nature of his power. Because the real problem is he has no functional control over his power. So if you watch the Avengers movies, they have given the Hulk the ability to transform at will. And that's very important because there's the scene, the moment where he turns around, he says, that's my secret, I'm always angry. And then he just transforms into the Hulk. And that's because without that control, he doesn't have the ability to actually use the power as needed. He's actually more a victim of a burden because he can't control this power. It'll happen whenever it wants to. In the later movies, in Thor Ragnarok, he actually loses the power to transform at will. And that's when they start showing it's a problem because he can't make himself change. Therefore, he can't use this power. And he is just Bruce Banner. And in, this, in the last Avengers movie, the Hulk won't come out when he needs him to. And it causes problems. And that's kind of the whole issue with Turbotine. He doesn't have the ability to control the power. So he can't use the power when he needs it. So the note said that he will turn into a car when exposed to extreme heat and he will turn back into a boy when exposed to extreme cold. But it's never explained what extreme heat or extreme cold is. So my idea, my first problem was, let's say he's driving on a highway at 120 miles an hour and there's a cold gust of wind. It's already cold because his outer shell is being exposed to the wind as he drives at 120 kilometers. And let's say it goes from daytime to nighttime, so the temperature drops, and then there's a gust of wind. Does he now transform into a boy? And 
he's suddenly being dragged along the road, sliding across the road at 120 miles an hour, which would probably kill him almost instantly. And then actually for a moment more scary, let's say a gust of wind hits his front left wheel and that turns into his hand. And so he's driving 120 miles an hour and his hand is being dragged along the road at 120 miles an hour. He can't fight that because it is controlled by ambient temperature. Now, the, also, there is a problem of temperature being relative. So I come from Canada where we have extremely cold winters. When it was minus 20 and it went up to minus 10, it felt a lot warmer because you had been exposed to minus 20 for so long. When it went up to zero and plus 10, you actually started feeling warm and started wearing less clothes. Whereas someone from California or a desert area would feel the exact opposite. If it was like 40 degrees outside, they would say it's, uh, four degrees Celsius for you Americans is quite hot. When it drops to 20, they would actually think it was freezing. So heat is a difficult thing to define when it comes to human bodies because we adapt and we get used to certain things. To solve this problem, the writers made it so that he could eat a chili and that would heat up his body enough and it would force the transformation. That gave him a modicum of control over the, the transformation power, which is exactly what they did in the Avengers for the Hulk, because you need to be able to transform at will, otherwise it's not a superpower anymore. Then it becomes an internal temperature change, but how does he cool himself off so he can change back? Or I guess if he just waited long enough, the heat from the chili pepper would dissipate or disappear and he would change naturally. The problem again is now he doesn't have control over it. So let's say he's changed into a car, he's eaten a chili pepper to force the change into a car so he can escape a bad guy. He wants to save his girlfriend, so she gets in the car and they drive away, but then the heat from the chili pepper wears off and now he changes, starts changing back into a human being. But he has another human being in his body. There are only a couple of options, like one, the safest one, probably the most cartoonish one, is the girl gets spit out of the car. But number two, more realistically, she's in the car and she gets crushed as the car retracts and shrinks into a human being. Or three, the one I enjoy the most, her body gets absorbed into his body and then fuses personalities, which is a very science fiction solution to the problem. And the transformation, when I started looking into it, was horrific. So his head stretches out, his teeth become the grill, and his head is actually sort of the hood ornament of the car. And the problem there is just how horrible it looks. And that's mid-transformation. When he does a full transformation, he just looks like a car. The antagonist in the story is called Dark Rider, and he thinks that the car has an AI computer in it. And so the AI computer is what he wants. So he's not chasing them around thinking he wants this weird superpower where a boy or a human or an animal can turn into a car. He thinks he, there's a supercomputer that's available. So he's actually trying to catch the car so he can pull the AI out of it. Dark Riders made some pretty sensible assumptions that the car is not a transformed human into that car. The car just has a computer in it that makes it seem sentient, but it's not. So I actually had a little bit of respect for Dark Rider until I read the second part about him where he drives around in a big black monster truck. Now, if you are going to be conducting nefarious activities, you don't want to be so noticeable. And one of the ways to be super noticeable would be to drive around in a giant black monster truck. So the kids could see you coming from a mile away. They could probably hear you because we also know that monster trucks make a lot of sound. But Dark Rider clearly has not really thought this through, and that is why he's become an ineffective opponent for Turbo Team. Now, the other big question I had was transferable injuries. So if Turbo Team turns into a car and he drives along and someone shoots into the car, when he changes back into a human, 
does he retain those injuries or do they somehow just magically disappear? So that's something I, you need to be aware of before writing the story because you need to know if the car has to protect itself. Because if I know that as a car, I could smash into walls and things, but then transfer her back into a boy and I would be perfectly healthy, that would be a pretty useful superpower because I could do a lot of damage to myself in one state and then recover instantly in a secondary state. But every time I tried to come up with a plot point, it ended up being that the car had to necessarily change on purpose. So the chilies kind of take care of that. But every time I wanted to like capture the kid, of course, the first thing you do is bind them. You make it so their hands are not free. So how is he going to get the chili to his mouth? I wanted to start rewriting this so it wasn't a superpower story. It was more of a awkward teen growing up uh, puberty story where his transformations are something that he has trouble controlling. But the first scenario I came up with, he starts transforming when he's in an elevator. The problem there is that he would be a car would be bigger than the actual space available in the elevator, and he would kill everyone else on board the elevator when he f completes his transformation. And then the secondary problem that I came up with when trying to write a story is that pretty much every problem that could be solved by transforming into a car could also be solved by owning a car that is available to you. So if I have to drive away from something, turning into a car doesn't make that better than just getting in a car and driving away. Uh, transforming into a car is not particularly beneficial when I can just buy and get into a really good car and then use that in the exact same instances as Turbo Teen when he's a car because they don't make it so that he's more agile or nimble as a car than another regular car. Of course, that goes back to if he could control his power because maybe he could do a partial transformation and then you know, actually turn his body and then have a tighter turning circle than a regular car, that actually might be useful. Again, another problem I came up with is that, is he able to transform in the winter time? Because it seems like all his adventures have to happen in the summer or the desert or somewhere like that. A problem occurs in a cold place, like he goes to Colorado or Canada or something, in the winter time, he won't be able to transform. Therefore, for winter adventures, he would have to own and maintain a car anyways, because he wouldn't be able to transform outside. So really, he's not even saving money on his ability because he has to own a winter car for when he isn't capable of transformation. Which brought up my final question when I started giving up on the whole Turbo Teen scenario, which is, does he have to maintain himself? So does his physical condition affect his performance as a car? So if the boy catches a cold, is the car's top speed now been lowered? Is the boy feeling sick, like nauseous? Does he have less actual ability as a car? So there's just too many questions that go unanswered. And this is kind of my problem with most stories is if you want it to be effective, you have to decide on your rule set so that you can then explore the rules of the story for the story to be effective. So I think this might be the reason that Turbo Teen only lasted 13 episodes. I mean, you can throw out the idea that a human turning into a giant stretch face car is horrendous and kids don't want to see that. Uh, you can see that the idea that owning a car that is sentient, so like Knight Rider, is more appealing than actually turning into a car yourself as being the more exciting prospect. But let's just face it, on every front I could think of, Turbo Teen fails as a superhero. He fails as something that would appeal to other people because I would rather own a really good car than actually turn into a car. Unless we go back to my main point, I personally have the ability to decide on when and how I transform. Because otherwise, 
Turbo T does not have a superpower. He has a super affliction. He's trying to do his best with it, but at the end of the day, he doesn't have an ability. He has a problem. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast.